Okay, we're running. Fantastic. Okay. <laughs> okay, so, telling of a sacred deer. Directed by Jorgos Lantimas. Thank you for saying that, because <laughs> I haven't practiced that enough yet. Um, initial thoughts. Initial we just thoughts. We just finished watching it less than two minutes ago. Yeah, so this is a real raw first reaction we haven't even discussed anything between us mm -mm. and am I correct in thinking you hadn't read anything going into it I had not either no I think the only thing I'd heard is I'd heard another review of it maybe but very little yeah and yeah. I hadn't seen any of his films before so this is my first one I had seen um Dogtooth which I loved mm -hmm. uh, I had not seen Alps and I didn't at all like the lobster. Mm -hmm. Where I would say is that with this with this film, uh, the killing of a sacred deer, I would I did I did like it. I did enjoy it. Um, one thing about him, I think, just the initial thought, mm -hmm. just his um, the, the some of the dialogue, all the actors seem to be delivering the dialogue in the same way. So there was that, which I think is very similar to what he was doing in The Lobster. Mm -hmm. I have heard that about him, mm -hmm. that people read it as uh, in this unemotional... Yeah, not almost deadpan. Deadpan, yeah, it's a really strange way of speaking. Mm. Um, it reminded me of, I'm sure this is not a reference that he intended, mm. but it reminded me of Cruel Intentions. Mm, yeah. It reminded me of like Ryan <laughs> Philippe and Sarah Michelle Gellar's impression of wasps, of New York rich, charming people. That's so interesting. That, and I'm sure that's not his reference, but that's what I took from it. <laughs> well, because I, you know, there's that moment where, um, and by the way, this will contain spoilers. So, um, if you haven't seen it, uh, now's the time to exit, unless you don't mind spo spoilers. But um, just the moment where the kid is who's tied up, Martin, mm -hmm. and he's getting punched and stuff, and he says, oh yeah, and he bites himself. Oh my god. That was so graphic. Yeah, I think I wrote down, he said that was a metaphor, and I wrote down, yeah. that wasn't a metaphor, that really happened. Yeah. It was horrible. Yeah, yeah that was so... It was so funny that he said that, like yeah. that that was in the script, mm -hmm. that it's this kind of almost, uh, I don't know whether it was meant to be almost sort of like a parody or that, because I mean, you know, he had, he had to make a sacrifice. It was a bit like a twisted Sophie's choice. He mm -hmm. had to pick one member of his family to kill, he was trying to decide between them and maybe the biting off of the own, your own flesh Maybe, I don't know. It just seemed so, like, on the nose. It was a funny line. It was a funny line. Sort of almost like it was deconstructing the film. <laughs> yeah. By itself. For itself. There were a couple of funny conversations. Yeah. There was one bit where they said, where they talk, he said, if you've got a lot of friends at school. Yeah. And he said, I think it's hard to have a lot of friends. And... I don't know, understand in what way that's supposed to be part of the film. Yeah. But I really liked it. It's yeah. just this incredible wisdom from this kid. Yeah. I don't know, it, but it seemed completely misplaced. Yeah, it was a it was a funny one. And just weird lines that came out of nowhere, like when the kid's eyes started bleeding and, and the sister said, Dad, come quick. You know, he's dying. Yeah, it's brilliant. It, it was, was so funny. It was funny. And it was, I found the crowd that we watched it with, like that screening, mm -hmm. there was a lot of 
kind of laughter that yeah. seemed it would it seemed so surreal to be laughing at certain moments but it really was funny it really was funny it was definitely funny but it was definitely because i thought yeah it reminded me of von trier and it reminded me of haneke yeah it reminded but me of haneke as well it was so much more unpleasant than either of them yeah the the intentions behind it seemed unpleasant and cruel yeah. Well, you know what? Um, his film Dog Tooth, it's because um, you know it's based on, it's loosely I think inspired or loosely based on events that took place in Austria with that guy Joseph Fritzl mm -hmm. who left his family in a basement, and in in that film, uh, without giving anything away, um, it's kind of like a a family who's kept very much in control and they can't leave the house, etc. Um, and when I watched that, it made me think that it had maybe something to do with some kind of social commentary on like the Greek economic situation and like austerity mm -hmm. because they were living in a very austere way. And as a result of that, they were so insular, like they were so cut off from the external world. They were living in close quarters, it seemed very uh, oppressive, incestuous, you know? And I wonder if this is almost, just because, just having that theme in mind, and this is a director who's like a young, new wave, you know, Greek new wave director. He's obviously going to be very, um, I guess, influenced by current, you know, events in Greece. Um, this In this particular family scenario, uh, it's like the opposite, you know. Um, it's not that they have to stick together. It's that one of there has to be a sacrifice. One of them has to be killed off, mm -hmm. and it's seen as some kind of justice for previous sin or previous error committed by the father. And I just wonder whether it is maybe a, it might be a continuation of the kind of critique of the in economic times where you hear authority figures saying like you know these are difficult times mm, we have to make sacrifices you know yeah sacrifices have to be mm. made and it's almost like that line you hear also when in a sort of work restructure when you hear the manager saying you know, I have to make difficult choices mm -hmm. you know it's like they go into it it's a self-saving exercise actually it's interesting it's also as well as it being incredibly contemporary then it also mm. goes right back to Greek tragedy yeah that yeah. idea of this, of this patriarch, I don't know, yeah. committing this sin and having yeah. to be punished. Like Kronos, mm. yeah, eating his children. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's so true. Mm. Yeah, you're right, like harking back to that kind of almost uh, Sophoclean tragedy. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I see that too. What do you think the hair is all about? Yeah. It was just over and over and over again, and I loved it. I really liked it, yeah. but I have no idea. I was trying to figure out what the symbolic meaning of it, because it happened so many times. The when she the says the body hair, the body hair. We've all got lovely hair. Yeah. She says. Um, and then he says to the kid, "If you're lying to me, I'm going to cut off your hair and make, make you, you eat, eat it." it. Which was just brilliant, and then it, it came continued. back again with like comparing armpit hair, yep. and then and then and then his comment about pubic hair, you know. Oh, that's I wrote down the least believable part of this film is a doctor saying pubes. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it was so horrible, so like crude and weird. It was really strange. I it really was so it. cringy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what that is. That hair. Thing. This this thing that kept coming back. Mm-hmm. I wonder. Yeah, that's a really good question, and I almost wonder whether it because the hair thing. I mean, if I could free associate with that, you know, um, do you think it's some kind of symbol of, um, because, you know, he said something about him being older and that's why he has more hair, Mm -hmm. you know, um, it's a hormonal thing, he said. Almost a power thing as well. A power thing, yeah. The most powerful one in the room. You know, there's that trope of the most powerful woman has the shortest hair in yeah. films. Well, with men, it's not the same. It's the opposite. You know, the most powerful men have the, like, the biggest eyebrows and yeah. the most body hair. And, and a beard. Yes. And he had a very thick beard. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I wonder whether it is a power symbol. And... You know, the f- and then he's kind of passing that on to his children. The, the, there was a scene of the way the daughter was lit from like, there's like backlighting. And then did you see like when she was kind of leaning over the the, the chair where the, the dad was sitting and, and, she, and her hair was so long and lustrous and it was like backlit. I didn't notice. And but... she looked almost angelic in that scene. She had just come back from choir practice or so she said. She was wearing yes. these white shorts. And then, um, yeah, like she had beautiful, she, her hair which just seems to me so prominent in that, in, that, in, that, in that composition of the image. And then, um, and of course the boy had beautiful long hair. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it, to me it just, it was also interesting that they both had, the, they were, the, the two kids were brunettes. Like they were, it's like he was passing down this power, you know, through the line and there's this competition between the two parents as well. This, you yeah. know, I don't, I want to be a cardiologist just like you yeah. instead. It's, it's an interesting one. Yeah, and in a way, I mean, you could see that um, the little boy was willing to make a sacrifice of his own. You know, like um, in, in a way that kind of paralleled almost uh, Martin chewing off his own flesh. Mm-hmm. There's this kind of parallel moment of him cutting off his own hair, That's like true. strip, you know, sort of hacking this part of himself off. Um, the same way that, to a much more sinister degree, um, the father had to hack off a member of the family, mm-hmm. you know, sort of chipping away. Um, and the way that the, you know, the mother was also so able to rationalize oh yeah you know? it just makes sense it makes it more sense to kill the child yeah we can have another kid we can go through IVF you know it's like this very clinical I was also thinking about the way yeah. that each of the family members had this sort of where well, they were sort of doling out this these responsibilities to these kids yeah they're not kids they're equal shareholders in yeah. this life that we all have and you mm. water the plants and you walk the dog yeah. and when your brother's in the hospital you water the plants yeah. and you, we, I walk the dog today but you can walk him tomorrow even mm-hmm. though you can't walk mm. you know that there was that's there's something about that that just kind of speaks to me about disdain for yeah. child raising and the modern family and the yeah. responsibilities you all have to have yeah yeah and, and almost you know this very sort of uh, almost um, sort of uncomfortably practical approach to the family mm-hmm. dynamic. Almost the family 
as a as as a kind of microcosm of economics, you know, yeah. how things are just, you know. Yes, he kind of gives that report at the party. She says he says uh, she's saying that the little girls choir practice. I can't remember what she says. She delivers some kind of news. Yeah, and he sort of tops it with, "Oh, she started menstruating last week. She was a little scared at first, but." now it's fine yeah it's just you know everything's as it's supposed as it's supposed yeah. to be and she's be- you know becoming the woman she's yeah she, we're expecting like a checklist yeah yeah exactly. almost like a kind of manager sort of you know um going through an appraisal yes. very dispassionate just kind of ticking boxes uh yeah exactly yeah it seems so like it actually in that moment it seemed i wasn't sure how to take that it just seems so hilarious and weird and it was awkward brilliant. it was so awkward it was it really so... made me laugh out loud but the way now that you kind of tie that to the task element and mm-hmm. the compartmentalizing of the tasks and really kind of uh delineating all these roles within the family it makes sense you know how yeah and the... there was also this yeah because at first even like um do you think maybe even the fact that Colin Farrell's character would meet Martin at first on his own. Do you think, because he didn't seem that, he didn't overtly seem that interested in the kid. Mm-hmm. Maybe he was just doing that because he felt bad about the death of his dad. Do you think maybe he was, that even that was like a kind of um, box-ticking exercise, like kind of jumping through the hoops? Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting that he used to drink a lot. That wasn't really kind of explored that much. But um, it obviously was an issue. He was an alcoholic. So there, that then implies, you know, the opposite. Total lack of control. Mm-hmm. Chaos. Um, yeah, that's interesting. It's kind of all twisted around. Like it's, he's, uh, but then yet he again finds himself even after all this order has been painstakingly created it still kind of falls apart yeah he's still standing there in his in his lounge mm-hmm. with uh you know his head covered with a with a you know one of those ski hats or whatever pulled down over his eyes playing some twisted game of who's you know who's he going to kill like any mini miny mo almost it's it's really interesting I was thinking about yeah. the color blue, yeah, and I was going to ask you what you thought it meant in his films because you've seen more of them than I had, mm. and I know I and I'm definitely picking films that he wasn't inspired by, I'm sure, but I was thinking about that um, trope of uh, cold wives, yeah, and American Beauty, yeah, and uh, Annette Bening's sort of grey blue couch. Yeah. And now everything around Nicole Kidman is blue. Yeah. The bed sheets and the her mm. blue dresses and mm. that all that kind of thing. And I suppose I always want to think about what films are saying about women. Mm. But I just wondered if you had an opinion on that. I mean, I think having seen a, a few of his stuff, I, I it's probably fair to say he likes cool tones. Mm-hmm. I think he might feel aesthetically that that pleases him or that it assists his ideas you know more so than than warmer tones um i just find the cinematography in this kind of yeah it's kind of interesting to me because 
a lot of it just seemed very staged. A lot of the interactions seemed very, very, very staged. And um, <laughs> I wonder if the blue element maybe kind of enhanced that uh, cold sort of, I don't know it's because what I don't want, what I don't really understand and what what didn't really get developed in the in in the script is why does Martin have this power? Mm, I was thinking about that too. And is it some kind of like fate versus, you know, some kind of like paranormal tension uh in relation to science and then the science element is that, you know, um the, the, the cold, dispassionate, practical, you know, blue, cool-toned, cool heads mm -hmm. thing versus Martin, who's kind of like this wild card. Uh, with a lot of red tones. Yeah. Even his skin. Yeah. You know, his skin kind of, break, you know, breaks out and he gets bloodier yeah. as the film goes on. Yeah. Actually, I did... And with his the spaghetti, you know? Like... Yeah. Oh, my God. The eating, just all of his eating the entire yeah. time was horrifying but I suppose because I was thinking about it in terms of anxiety yeah as the I was thinking about the way that the object of anxiety when you have a person that you are centering a particular amount of anxiety well that is the is the some friends of mine have this phrase you know where after you have a after you get drunk and you uh you for this regret the next day it's called the fear and if mm. there's someone you embarrass yourself in front of they're called the fear daddy oh right no and i had not heard that before so i'm gonna use that expression <laughs> yeah he's you know he martin is the fear daddy of this film but when there is someone that you're very anxious about you can sort of attribute monstrous almost supernatural qualities to them mm. Mm. you know when there's someone you're really scared of yeah who's really yeah. causing new problems yeah yeah you at the very least think they are deliberately yeah trying to ruin your life yeah and that they have almost superhuman powers yes, to do it to facilitate they know what you're thinking they, they know, know what you're going to do they can read your mind yes they, they can influence people they can glamorize people to kind of work in cahoots with them exactly wow that's what it made me think of i love that that in that it's if it's i mean i you know i'm a great believer in you believe well, within reason, if you th it seems like a smart directorial decision, you believe what the film world is telling you. Yeah. So, you know, in that film, he does have that power. But if the world is a world of anxiety, then, yeah, he does. Mm. He would have that power. He would, wouldn't he? Because what, that's what that feeling does to you. Wow. I love that. I, I, love I was that. just thinking thematically all the way through it. <laughs> I totally agree. And, and, yeah, I can see that because in a way he's just – he in a way he – all of it might have just been a fever dream in which he's just projecting, mm -hmm. you know, this doctor who's supposed to be, you know, a respected figure in his field and he's, you know, kicked the drink and he's getting his life back in order. But there was something that represents his mistakes from the past, mm -hmm. something that some symbol of who he used to be, the chaotic individual, unreliable accident-prone, you know, error-prone individual that he used to be. And that, that mistake has just clung on. And, uh, you know, it's reminding him that he's not, he, he hasn't got everything in order yet. You know, there's still something, some nagging thing that's still holding on to him. And it's, 
and uh, it insists that justice should take place. And so he's attributing, it's like the return of the repressed, you know, yes. the Freudian return of the repressed, who's the symbol of something from the past. And he's attributing, and you're right, he's directing his anxiety onto that object. And uh, it's sort of, in a way, in doing that, he's amplifying um, this kid Martin with just inexplicable sort of X-Files, mm -hmm. you know, style, like, abilities, uh, paranormal, almost maybe even divine. And there's that moment also when Nicole Kidman's character, like, she sort of bows down, lowers herself, and kisses yeah. his feet. It's It seemed very, like, I don't know, like she was worshipping him or... A desperate kind of pilgrim who's, you know, begging for, I don't know, like some kind of uh, divine benevolence or something, like a benediction or something. You know, like it would seem very, it seemed very, um, like very almost the way it was set up seemed very like religious somehow. And they were all offering things, you know. And the daughter was, she's, you know, she said she was willing to be the one to be sacrificed, mm -hmm. um, you know, which is interesting as well. What about, what about the whole, um, like, what, what was his kink with the whole, like, was like necrophile? Oh, that, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, that. yeah. I loved it so much. And I actually felt, um, I think... I feel like it's put in. I mean, I don't. I wonder why it's put in. Yeah. Because if it's put in to make you dislike them as a couple or make you dislike mm. him, it didn't work for no. me. It really was this. I felt like there was there were a lot of there were a few moments early on in the film where I just felt like I loved it. I loved this film. I like this film world, mm. and that was one of them because I thought it's a really nice portrait of a couple that really that understood. Understood each yeah. other. That don't even have to. She just said, "What did she say?" She said she one said, world. She said she said uh, something about anest. An um, she, she said she said say anesthesiology or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he was like, yeah. And then they did it. They just morphed into this, yeah. this role play. Yeah, they just slid right into their yeah. roles seamlessly. No, no kind of regret or hesitation or anything like that. Um, I thought that was really nice because another director would yeah. have done that differently. Would yeah. have made her seem downtrodden or regretful yeah, yeah. in some kind of way, but she was just so glamorous. But don't you think it's interesting that it's it, there was yet another parallel in which she actually did perform a sex act on an anesthesiologist? Yeah, that's true. I was thinking of the way that the daughter took her clothes off and lay down on the bed. Yeah. It was also a parallel. Totally like mimicking... Yeah. yeah, which was the only bit of the film that annoyed me. Really, just the just I just think you can find a more imaginative use for a teenage girl these days than to have her, you know, than to have all that all that again anxiety about you know t women having their hearts broken by someone bad. Yeah, as if that's the worst thing that can ever happen to you. Yeah, because it's it's just it's so unimaginative, and yeah. it was the only failing in my opinion yeah. of that film. Yeah, that's so true, and it's it made me think also that, um, in a way, I mean, Martin's re response when she did that, mm -hmm. she just laid, you know, she kind of laid on the bed, and he, he was seen really nonplussed, you know, and he just walked off. That's the thing, because he's not. So it's, he can't possibly be this 
all-powerful evil character. Exactly. He's just an, you know... Exactly. He's kind of non-threatening in that regard. He's even asexual, maybe. Mm -hmm. So in that regard, I think that... um, and maybe also the yeah yeah this is it like that's make that that sort of pronounces why it's so absurd that he's then kind of endowed with all these powers, mm-hmm. and yet he's just like some little squirt you know yeah exactly <laughs> I think that explains the grossness of his eating as well I think yeah. that as much as his power is magnified his grotesqueness is magnified as yeah. well and yeah. his relationship with his mother was really horrifying yeah that was really. That was really clever casting yeah, to have Alicia Silverstone. So nice to see Alicia Silverstone. Yeah, yeah. Especially in something like that. It was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I thought that was really clever casting to have her in that role. Kind of, in a way, maybe a nod to her like icon status and like clueless mm-hmm. and all that. Um, because of like her preoccupation and what she was talking about, you know. Um how you know she's she looks so much better now and she's like improved how she looks and stuff and she's changed her hair color you know um and it's uh, insisting on the question do you like it yeah you know and um well almost as if she doesn't really exist yeah yeah that she's just there in that house she's just ornamental that for that moment yeah because you never see her again no you never see her again she's only mentioned once again by name but it's sort of more to it's more like an argument point scoring thing. It's exactly. She's sort of, yeah, she, she supposedly no... doesn't have a job, but she's never in the house. Yeah, yeah. So she could not exist at all. Yeah. She's just she's just there for some form of test or something. Yeah, it's interesting because even, like, yeah, that is interesting because even Martin was trying to incite jealousy in Nicole Kidman's character mm-hmm. by mentioning about, you know, making up stories about flirtations, etc. Um, and how... Um, there may be feelings between the two characters. But even that was kind of a damp squid in terms of posing as a threat because mm-hmm. Nicole Kidman's character was just kind of, you know, she wasn't that bothered, actually. Well, the kids are dying. Yeah, yeah it's the yeah. least possible yeah, yeah. worrying thing yeah. at that moment. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, so in a way, it's like both the, the mother and... Martin were, um, I think, maybe quite deliberately shown to be non-threatening, but yet it was absurd the power that Martin had, Mm -hmm. you know, over that family. And even the fact that, yeah, there was just kind of very bizarre moments. (laughs) Um, At first I was thinking, oh, is this going to go down this kind of hypochondria thing because the kid came to the hospital and Mm. said there's something wrong with me you know am I going to have a heart attack or something like that or something wrong with my heart Um, I just wonder whether if we take that to its kind of extreme extension and then interpret Martin's role purely allegorically as some kind of servant of dark justice Mm -hmm. then could you go, you know, is is it a stretch to say that because he was like this, he had a momentary little wobble with his, you know, health and he was acting in a hypochondriac way um, and he said about his heart not functioning properly. I wonder whether it 
might have pointed to like justice being a heartless bitch in a way like mm -hmm. you know like um that in a in a perfect karmic universe um you're gonna go through hell precisely because all the wrong things you do to other people you get back you know in equal measure and 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 justice doesn't care about you mm -hmm. you know it doesn't it doesn't want to spare you it doesn't have the heart to um kind of feel bad for you when it sees you squirming like it just doesn't care that film very much was about measures yeah measures actually. yeah there was uh you know a death for a death and there are uh, you know as i said before roles for everyone roles for everyone. for everyone yeah and just if it's even, not done today it has to be done tomorrow yeah that kind of thing and even the thing with the donuts you know yeah. like um the colin farrell character insisting that you know the kids shouldn't feel guilty about eating donuts, that they weren't going to tell him off, and he wanted all the donuts gone, you know? like mm -hmm. I'll of... tell you the secret if you tell me oh, that yeah. one secret. Yeah. It was all kind of bartering and yeah. negotiating. Yeah, and... negotiating and... Oh, and his secret, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was so <laughs> horrible. Yeah, I know. It was so... I felt like, I felt like saying, like, you know, I just it just occurred to me, like, when he said that, I was, I, I was thinking, wow, like, I bet you really regret telling that now because mm -hmm. the kid's got nothing on you, you know? Like, he's got, he's not going to give you anything. I just thought male anxieties are funny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Horrible being a teenage boy. Yeah, and, yeah, I'd love to, to in a way, know um, how a lot of this stuff stacks up in, you know, particularly dog tooth. I feel like there are a lot of parallels because it's so family centered, whereas like the lobster is, it's more about it's more like a dystopian social thing, like it's a wider, you know. And he seems to be preoccupied certainly with like human interaction, but I feel like lobster is much more like societal, at a bigger scale, whereas, um, you know, this and Dogtooth are really kind of family centric. Um, and you know even just the title the killing of a sacred deer deer can read in two ways you know it's the animal but also deer a deer person you mm -hmm. know um, so it, it implies you know choices and um, and yeah family trauma you know there is uh there is a Greek myth somewhere where, mm. oh, there is. It's um, it's not a deer. It's a cow. But someone oh, has yeah. to is supposed to sacrifice a cow. Yeah. And instead of choosing their best one, they choose their second best one. Right. Uh, it's the Minotaur. I think right. that's how it happens. Yeah. He's got this incredible yeah. prize-winning. Well, probably not. They probably didn't have contests in ancient Greece, but sort of <laughs> prize-winning bull. Yeah. And he should sacrifice it to oh, the yeah, gods yeah. to say thank you, and he doesn't. And mm. in revenge, the whichever god he slighted by yeah. sacrificing the second best uh, makes his wife attracted to this prize-winning bull. Oh, wow. And that's how the Minotaur's born. And so yeah. he has this terrible, you know, shameful, horrifying thing happen in his family. And then they have to sacrifice, what is it, six men and six women oh, every wow. year to it. Oh my gosh, that's very interesting. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know I'm probably I'm probably uh, 
too much on the Greek thing, but you know, but it's going to be very relevant. It might I think. be relevant. I, I don't know so. if they would learn about it in school or something, but I, I don't know. It just seemed like such a Greek tragedy. It yeah. must have some kind of connotations. I I would I would have thought so. I mean, that, there are p- parallels that are very interesting. Um, but you know, and and often you do see this in Greek mythology: the bartering and the equal measures. Mm-hmm. You know, the justice that you know actions have consequences and you have to pay back mm-hmm. so even just for example when i think of um you know persephone yeah having to negotiate her time between hades and her mother mm-hmm. um you know and that her time has to be divided equally and this is how the ancient greeks explained the changes of the seasons mm-hmm. um you know that when persephone was with hades it was winter uh, and the ground was barren um yeah, you know, it's it's always this thing that um, your actions, you know, will have consequences and that you can never really escape your fate. Yeah, and I think that maybe this Martin character, um, I mean, you know, potentially he might have never existed. It might have just been a fever dream. Mm-hmm. And it might have just meant that because Colin Farrell's character, um, through his own kind of um, negligence, caused the death of a boy's father, that he in turn will have, you know, um, somehow traumatized his own son. Um, oh, that's interesting. You know, I like that. And and that he might that kid might have never even died. It might have just been like a symbol of, um, you know how the guilt that he carries um, despite all his sort of efforts to order things and be the pinnacle of his community or whatever that actually ultimately you know because of what what he did before he can never really escape that he can never really cleanse that um, that the that the the tra- trauma he caused somebody else was too deep so that it would haunt him mm-hmm. and his family and he would then traumatize his own son Obviously, like the gu- the gun, you know, the gunshot wound. Um, well, yes, of course, it would have um, sort of wounded his son, but maybe it's a different. It's a psychological wound, you know. That's why I like that. I like how there's enough vagueness in the film that you can kind of potentially read different, inter- you know, yeah, um, interpretations of it. So I think in that respect, it is a successful. I really it as a film I think it's yeah the sound was unbearable I know it was so jarring and so attached to Martin as well which is another reference to the idea that he might just be symbolic yeah anxiety yeah exactly it was yeah it was the most I'd never heard sound like it I mean I've heard good sound before but not like that it's yeah was so high pitched and so uncomfortable, and eclipsing dialogue. Yes, and sort of like, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, was that amazing. was. In, I like that too. It was very. Um, it felt very avant garde. Very, you know how that the sensation, the dread created by the sound, eclipsed everything else. It sort of invaded every scene and. Oh, well, in the way that panic and dread yeah. does eclipse eclipse conversations yeah. and drowning what, out yeah. other aspects of reality. It's just right there. You know, you can't ignore it. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was very. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have one final point about yeah. it, which is not anything to do with what we're talking about now. Maybe we'll come back in a year's time. 
Can I point out a trope in films mm. of if you're a woman, if you're a proper grown-up successful woman, you put hand cream on at night? <laughs> because just, you know, if I'm wrong, if I'm not if I'm not proper and if people do this at home, please tell me. But I I what is this thing with women who put hand cream on at night? It's I've such, seen that too. It's such a thing with especially successful women or rich yeah. women in films. It's just they're always affluent women. affluent women. They're always putting hand cream on after dark. <laughs> they're always in their night dresses putting hand cream on. It's so what true. is that? I never remember talking about hand cream on until, I was until never... I've got, you know, visibly dry skin. I won't remember to put it on. Yeah. And I never even remember where I put my hand cream. Yeah, like exactly. it's not it's not at the top of my priorities. No, I don't you know? carry it around with me or no. anything like that. I know, isn't that funny? Maybe it's a symbol of her of her being, you know, the most powerful one in the room. Yeah. She's she's the one that wants, you know, that tells everyone to go to bed because they have surgery in the morning. Yeah. She remembers to put her hand cream on. Yeah. She's got a selection of different night dresses. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's just something that really frustrates me whenever I see women putting hand cream on at <laughs> Such night. Such a good point. And I seem to remember her doing that in another film, like actual... Like, I'm sure I've seen her do it, and I don't, can't remember what film it is. And it might be Eyes Wide Shut. I was just thinking, is it wide, Eyes Wide Shut? But because... I feel like it's not, because the only times... I She does a lot of cosmetic key yeah. things, but I feel... You know, she like she brushes her kid's hair, and, and like... Yeah, yeah. And things like that. I'm sure, she, I'm sure I've seen her do that before. In Eyes Wide Shut, she also does this thing, which I'm sure is a, is Kubrick's idea and not hers. Or maybe this is mm. another thing women do, but she lowers her boobs into her bra. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In this yeah. sort of special way. That's yeah. not how you do it. You just, like, I know that's how you're supposed to do it, but that's not how you do it. No you one just, actually does that. You do it that. up and then you just... <laughs> yeah, I'm trying that's to... That's such a good point. Yeah, I'm trying to think of more examples, but I know I've seen it. I know I've seen it a lot, and I'm sure I've seen Nicole Kidman do it. <laughs> it's some kind of bourgeois fantasy, maybe, of, like, you know, imagining what these, like, you know, classy ladies are doing, you know, after dark, you know. They have to keep their hands soft for barter, the bartering of hand jobs later. Yeah, yeah. The bartering of hand jobs for information. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so true. Yeah. And the, and the one time that we did see, actually, like, Colin Farrell's hands after they'd been bra- you know, roasted about and bragged mm-hmm. about so many times, I was thinking, oh, he could he could use some hand cream, actually. Yeah, they look true. very dry and, like, spotty. <laughs> so, <laughs> once again, people project what they want to see. Mm-hmm. 